0: Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse now.
1: There's something else I don't understand, and I noticed. Well. This is, this is a general thing I don't understand because I've noticed it in more than just The Stand. Mm-hmm. Why is this, is, did Heather Graham just decide she only wants to be in like one episode of TV shows? Because she's so good. And I've liked every single thing I've seen her in. And it's always like, I'm Heather Graham. I'm here for one episode of this show.
2: Uh, I think they let Heather Graham do whatever Heather Graham wants. Mm-hmm.
3: I don't know, man. Sorry. way in, bud.
0: Ah, you just woke me up.
2: <laughs> all right. Before we let Sorry dive into this, and we welcome Sorry, this is Zompocalypse Now. I am Timothy Harvey.
1: And I'm Dustin.
2: And I'm Curtis. Hi,
1: all. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry has been my best friend uh since we were children we met our freshman year of college and you might have appeared on the show before have you have you sat in on episodes of this
0: i think i sat in one one time just uh, at some uh when you were at the sci-fi for me i think
1: yeah and that was way back when uh when we all lived in the same town sorry lives in st louis and Curtis doesn't live there, but we were all in Kansas City. And sometimes, Sorry would come to town, and we would, you know, be podcasting, and he would sit in with us. But that was like very occasionally, and also many years ago.
2: And because Dustin apparently has a grudge against Sorry that he's developed recently, he invited him to participate in our look at the stand. <laughs> um, because I'm pretty sure that qualifies under some form of abuse. There's a law somewhere that says.
3: You listeners better appreciate what the hell we
2: do for you
3: guys. <laughs> yeah. We just sat through two hours of, of. Uh, well, maybe, I can't speak for sorry, but the three of us did not want to do that. <laughs> we felt like we was, had to do it for you.
0: I'd say it was very mediocre TV. I did not, I have no context or no knowledge about The Stand whatsoever, and I did not enjoy those television episodes we watched tonight. <laughs>
2: And it's weird because we. So what we watched tonight, folks, was the second and third episode of The Stand. And on, in the third episode, they give a recap, and the recap is actually everything that's important from the first two episodes. And it takes about thirty seconds.
1: Yeah, and 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 uh, Tim goes, "Well, I guess that's all you need to know. Like that's you're caught up now. <laughs> that's all
2: the background you need. Sorry, that's the, those are all the high points." And the third episode of the three we've watched, and this is sort of damning with faint praise, I am aware of that. The third episode was the best one we've seen so far, in my opinion. It had the best character interactions, it had the best moments that were genuinely leaning into at least the fringes of horror. Mm -hmm. And if they had led off with this episode if this had been the first episode considering that they're, they're all this everything's happening out of sequence anyway
1: and yeah at this point any of the three episodes we watched could have been the first episode of the show
2: and i think that if they led off with this episode we would have gone okay this is really odd what they're doing with the story structure but if we had given up by episode 2 we wouldn't have even seen that episode 3 was which better
3: kind of i enjoyed this episode more because it introduced characters that i liked more than i of <laughs> yeah the, and i have my favorite characters right and <laughs> right you no know, uh uh nick and uh tom cullen and nick and well those guys are my favorite characters
1: they are really good they are and and honestly like in the in the way that the book is structured, and this is what's made me so mad so far about the way that Fran is portrayed. The main characters of the book, for the first, probably third, are Fran and Stu and Nick. Even Larry doesn't really come become that important until sort of the middle. And the way that they've they've structured the characters. They've put Harold louder So front and center. I don't understand. I don't understand why they've done that. And also it's bad and I hate it.
3: <laughs> Just don't like the. I don't like the way they've structured it. It's too confusing. Cause it jumps back and forth through time so much. Could it, would it have killed them to take a linear approach rather than try to make it like, like, Pulp Fiction was written by Stephen King.
2: So I'm thinking of this like an editor, right? Uh, And I am not going to do this because I have other things to do with my time. But there's part of me that's tempted to take these episodes apart (laughs) and put them in an order that makes sense to me. Not because I can't follow along with what's happening. Okay, we're all smart enough to follow along with what's happening. The problem is, is that they're making it harder than it needs to be. And just as a sort of blamed lost for the, the flashback within a flashback within a flashback thing we're we're being subjected to it's, there's also the Pulp Fiction thing where Pulp Fiction and, and I know people are not going to agree with me on this because some people love that movie I don't think is that great of a film. The thing that makes it interesting is because it's told out of order. If it had just been told in a single series of straight narrative arcs, it would not be as interesting.
1: And that's almost all down to Quentin Tarantino's longtime editor, who, uh, whose name I do not remember at this particular moment. But she basically is the one who came up with the idea to, to make make uh, Pulp Fiction out of order.
2: And it works for Pulp Fiction, but a lot of people, it's just, it, you see this a lot with filmmakers. You see somebody, M. Night Shyamalan comes along and gives us a film with a twist ending and suddenly a whole bunch of films have to have twist endings. The Blair Witch Project comes along and everybody's got to do found footage. Pulp Fiction comes along and, and narrative structure goes out the window. And if you do it really, really well, It's great. But it's an art form. And I'm not bashing the editors of this series. They did their job. I'm sure they did it the way they were told to do it. And as, aside from the story structure, the editing is just fine. But I really want to sit there and go, okay, this first episode is all about Stu. And it ends with Stu arriving you know, in Denver, Boulder. And the second episode is all about... I guess we have to have Harold in there, too. Franny and Harold. Yeah. And the, the third episode is all about... Larry. Larry. And-
1: Larry and, and Rita. Really, that was a thing that episode two really irritated me with. It's like, it became so obvious that they do not have the budget to do this right. Because uh, Larry might in the course of the actual story of the stand only be with Rita while he's trying to get out of in New York and trying to get out of New York. His time with her is extremely, extremely important. And like the whole, as soon as they went in the sewer, I was like, this is the Staten Island tunnel. uh, They're doing the, the, or whatever. Yeah. The, the Long Island expressway tunnel or whatever. That they're doing. They don't have the budget to go to an actual tunnel, so we're going to be wandering around sewer sets for 15 minutes.
3: <laughs> as far as the budget went, it was it was painfully obvious to me when uh, Nick walks into Mother Abigail's little room there, and it's just like corn stalks around the doorframe. That'll make it look <laughs> like you walked out of a cornfield, won't it?
1: Well, Good that job, I think is...
3: Design guy? Yeah. When
2: you, when you budget a show like this, when you've got this, you have to figure out where your money's going to go in which episode, and usually it's the very end. So it's one of those things where you do cut corners all over the place so that you can have your big effects budget hit when it matters. And if you've read the novel of The Stand or you watched the earlier miniseries, then you know that comes at the end. So when we get there, if they haven't pulled the budget off, then, well, that's a different story. But I'm not terribly surprised we see the the cutting the corners early on. But I just want to, like I said, I just want to, you could get to the end of the third episode and have all the information they've presented us now, probably more if you cut out some things that don't need to be there. And there's a lot of stuff that does need to be here, by the way. And it would not be bothering me anywhere near as much as, how, how many flashbacks down are we? I mean, it's it's. Uh, I was well, literally, I was trying to keep track. It was a distraction
3: from the storytelling. That's why they fucked it up. I'm telling you, nine people can't or six people can't write one series and have it be a cohesive vision. You just how, how you can't. I can honestly
0: say that after watching this two episodes and not knowing the source material, I don't actually know what's happening. no no i really don't uh they they all had the good people had dreams to meet uh abigail right Mm -hmm. and the man in black is doing recruiting people and that's all i know and that's after two hours is that like, what, what is the story? I don't understand what the what they're trying to
1: tell. Well, you knew there was a super flu. But, you, see, that's the problem, Sorry, You have just described the plot perfectly in 35 seconds because all they're giving us is vague gestures at characterization. Like... There
0: were so many people being thrown around. And the, who's that person that they wrote the name of at the end of episode three? Like, like what...
3: That was Harold Louder. He's the greasy-haired bad guy.
1: Yeah. That's another thing that they're doing that it's so irritating to me that they're doing. It's like, okay, if you're going to switch up our perspective on the stand and make Harold oh, maybe a more sympathetic character or a more conflicted character or a more whatever, or same with Nadine, you don't give them those scenes of where they're just, like, staring off in the space giving evil face, you know? Like, I, Oh yes, I'll be your school teacher. You know, and then she scowls off into the distance.
3: <laughs> I wonder if next episode they're gonna they're gonna dust off Sarah Jessica Parker and bring her in for a cameo or something. Okay, yeah. who did we have this time? Who did we have that was the new guy? Who Greg was Kinnear. That? Greg Kinnear, right?
1: And and Heather Graham was in one episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. Do we have any other spe- special guest stars? I can't remember. Oh, J.K.
2: Simmons, so. who's in the Oh right, J.K. Simmons. First, second, first or second episode? First episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, let's see. Brian Cranston was the voice of the president. <laughs> yes. Uh, Terrible read on that. I will stand by it. <laughs> it's just uh, the potential here. And and admittedly, okay, there was no way them adapting this series was going to satisfy everybody. No. Because it's a beloved novel. It's one of the big 20th century horror novels that everybody seems to know about. It was a very popular miniseries when they did it before. Uh, Again, star-studded cast. Literally had the hand of the writer come down in the final episode, but that's all right.
1: (laughs) Well, that's what happens in the in the book, too. Well, yeah, yeah.
2: but uh, you know, and Stephen King
3: knows that he can. I think he's actually admitted to this. He knows he can go
2: tell a story forever. So sometimes he just stops. He has a well-established criticism that Stephen King writes great novels but doesn't write great endings.
1: I think he's gotten actually better because I I recently listened to well, this maybe Joe Hill helped uh, with this when I listened to Sleeping Beauties. Uh, I thought that had a really beautiful ending. You know, I just re- re-listened to *Rose Matter*, which is one of his like, you know, low key. It's one of those books that, that came out in like 1998, but there I were think, like s- seven Stephen King books that came out that year. You know,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah I think his uh, his agent was getting pushy. You know, yeah, it's not all. It's not always a fair criticism, but it is one that there are enough and part of this comes out of the fact that Stephen King has written a lot of books. Mm. And so the He's ones where more these... books than iron maiden has albums. I think it's about hit and miss for both parties. Really <laughs> <laughs> iron maiden it's, uh... it's a
1: fire starter recently too. And that is trash. <laughs> like I remember really liking that book when I was, a, when I was younger, when I was like 15 or 16 reading it. And I just, by the time I was done, I was like, Oh, why?
2: We'll just have to see what the remake, because it's getting one, uh, uh, looks like when it makes God it to the screen. Damn it. So, well, what do you expect? Remakes okay, what
3: bad. Stephen King movie would you like to see remade? Um. That they haven't yet.
2: Can we remake the, the bad remakes? Because oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a version of Pet Cemetery that actually took the best parts of the first movie and made them less cheesy...
1: I you know okay. what I didn't like either version of the the movie versions, and I don't like the book. And so, and it's already been done twice. You know,
2: I believe very strongly that remakes should be. I, I don't think you should remake good films. I think you should remake bad films so that you get <laughs> them right.
3: Well, I think you should wait until the director of the first film is dead, just out, out of respect. Nah. Otherwise, you're spending well, six months
2: going fuck you, your movie sucked, and we got to redo it now because you suck. Unless it's a (laughs) Paul W.S. Anderson um, video game movie, in which case let somebody else do it. Paul W.S. Anderson (laughs) has made one movie, uh, and it was Event Horizon, and everything else is... Did he make the
1: original Resident Evil?
2: He made all the Resident Evils.
1: Because I liked the original... I remember me and Sorry went and saw that in the theaters, and we liked it.
2: Well, the first one is a big, dumb action movie, and it's yeah. fun, but it's a terrible adaptation of game. Well, hang on. Sorry, what
3: you weigh in. What what do you want to see remade?
0: Oh, The Dark Tower, for sure.
2: They, I, did, yeah. they haven't made a, a movie version of The Dark Tower. I, I oh. don't know who's told you that they did, because that's oh, a, a, was... a, a, clearly a lie.
0: Yeah, it was a fever
2: dream. It didn't happen. <laughs> You weren't well that week, and no, it's okay. You're better now.
0: <laughs> no, I like your theory on uh, remaking bad films. That one desperately needs to be remade properly.
1: But and you see, you can't be... make. That's the problem: is that you can't make The Dark Tower as a movie.
0: It Needs to be a, not TV not a single show. movie, no? Yeah, TV
2: show, miniseries. Well, and you could even keep the you could even keep the, the the main the two main characters: Idris Elba as Roland. I am on board. Matthew McConaughey as Flag. Sure, no problem. Just give them a good script. Yeah. I don't know. I'd probably
3: Bag of Bones for me. Mm. I
1: love that. Oh, that. I I only watched one uh, episode of that miniseries. And I was like, nope.
3: Yeah, that's all I could get through, too. Um, I love that book, man. It's got a lot going on. In the ending, you're right. It's not the best, but the... Kind of the journey there is pretty fun.
2: It's not a bad... It's, it's not an adaptation of one of his books. And it's I actually quite enjoy the limited series that it was, but I want a new version with an ending. I want yeah. him to redo Golden Years. Oh, yeah. Because Golden Years was actually a really interesting show. And it was only designed to be a miniseries. And it gets to the end... And it just stops, Z- and it's like, "Where's the ending? There's a whole episode missing here, guys." And they never came back and did anything else with it. And I was like, "But this was, this was really good. Certainly did." What, what does it stick say? The landing
3: about, on the stand.
0: What, yeah, I was going to say, "What does it say about the TV series that we were watching?" That we're talking about something else that's more interesting.
2: <laughs> uh, it's exactly what it tells you about the yeah. miniseries we're watching. And the thing is, is that okay? Admittedly, we are three episodes in to a nine episode series and it could and third episode got better and then there's you know a scale here episode four could be great episode five could be fantastic but the problem is, is that like we talked about last episode there was that TV show called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and enough people gave up in the first 12 episodes because they were terrible to not stick around for the 12 episodes that followed that were good And then the seasons that followed that were good. Right.
1: And since it's not supposed to, I mean, as far as I'm aware, it's only supposed to be a limited series and not supposed to be like season one of an ongoing stand TV series. That's even worse because it makes people like, Like am I really going to invest like The Mist? Uh
3: Uh-huh.
1: I forced Tim to watch the entire uh The Mist one uh one year for this show. And it was the same thing. It's like, why are we investing this much time of our lives to this concept?
2: <laughs> okay. This is better than the Mist.
1: Just nominally. No, no, I don't, no, barely. the mist. The
2: Mist was no. This at least has good actors making their way through this story and doing their best with what they've got the mist did not have enough good actors making their way and the production value on this is significantly better than the mist the mist was painful it hurt to watch that show this is just irritating yeah i'm not actually in physical pain
0: (laughs) wait they made a mist tv show I didn't even know that. Oh,
2: it's so bad. They did. You
0: guys were talking about the movie. I'm like, wait a second. That movie was awesome.
2: No, there was a missed TV show. There is a missed TV show. And they did not have anywhere near the budget they needed. They didn't have the writing they needed. They didn't have an idea what they were doing with the show that they needed. And it did not survive past the first season because everyone looked at it and went, no, 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 no. We're not doing this again. No.
1: The big thing of the myth, like one of the characters, the very first episode has the teenage girl being raped at a college party, like a high school party. And so they think one kid did it. And everybody's like, oh, it's he's a bad, he's a bad seed. And, you know, but he's a popular football player. And they do the whole thing. And then at the end, they discover, no, it wasn't. It wasn't the popular football player who raped her at the college party. It was the skinny, nerdy, gay guy who raped her at the college party. Oh, like, her
2: friend. It yeah. Like her best friend. Oh, it was just so bad.
1: I missed The Mist. Let's rewatch The Mist. No. Tim.
2: I have a sharp object. I will put out my eyes.
1: Oh, my gosh. We need... That's, there's there's the new concept of the podcast, you guys. We're just going to watch one show, one limited series, over and over and over again and talk mm-hmm. about it every
2: single week. Until we've all gouged out our own eyes. Yay! Just pretend
3: you're listening to a Lord of the Rings podcast. <laughs> How many different ways can we talk about The Mist? <laughs>
1: Well, we, we've talked about The Mist almost as long as we talked about The Stand tonight.
2: <laughs> there is that. So, okay, in what, in what plot we got over these two episodes, because we're still putting the, we're getting the band together. This is what the right. first three episodes of this show have been. Bring together the cast of characters who we're supposed to care about and are going to carry us through the rest of the series. I almost
1: oh, 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 six episodes of it,
2: yeah. And so we already had Stu Redmond get introduced, we got Franny introduced more or less in passing in episode one. She gets a bit to do here in these two episodes, but not much.
3: Deep, already... uh, her whole point is being pregnant, I think
2: that is what she's for at this point, yes. Uh, Harold, of course, the previous episode, episode one was.
1: Look at Harold! Isn't he creepy? Yes.
2: Yes. And then the second episode, we pick up with Larry Underwood, who is a kind of an awful person. Yeah. He's a musician in New York. He's he's a druggie. He's an alcoholic. He's an embarrassment to his mother. You know, he screams at people. He may have stolen somebody else's music. All these he's, different
1: things. Yeah. He sleeps. He sleeps around. And- doesn't remember the girl's name and won't even get her a tissue
3: he's not a nice guy
1: yeah although i will say like how like i love the way if i mentioned this on the podcast or i said this before like i love the way that it's just like captain trips the the gestation period is convenience it's it's like plot (laughs) contrivance you know, just like turning into a walker on The Walking Dead. Yeah, they learned like, oh, from you,
2: zombie shows.
1: You you contracted Captain Trix uh, ten minutes ago. Well, you either have six weeks to live or one day. Like, depending on how, how much character we need from you. We Do we need you to take care of the main character and get him out of the medical facility? Eh, you can be sick for like, you know, nine months. You You, you know...
3: Yeah, dude got thing. dude got punched in the eye, woke up an indeterminate amount of time later, and uh, everyone is dead.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nick's, the, Nick's whole thing. Yeah, well, Nick's whole thing.
3: It's like, how long do you get knocked out for?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, like, the two cops were dead in that guy's room. And it's like, were, th- were those cops even sick before they sat down to those chairs? And that's another one that really kind of messed me up. About this show is that the Nick Andrews in this little town storyline—that's like seven hundred pages of the book. He gets to know the sheriff. He becomes kind of a deputy for a little while. You know, he takes care of both the sheriff and his wife as they die.
3: I remember that from the yeah. book. It's been years and years, but
2: well, and and in the fairness of adapting books to series stuff we know there's a lot of changes but it really begs the question if you're going to do this kind of storytelling with this many characters where you can dive into these kind of characters in the book that's a thousand pages long and you do it in really eight episodes of storytelling there's a whole lot of compression you're doing there's a lot and that, and and we know this stuff happens. I mean, it happens all the time. We see this in, in adaptations every time you have an adaptation. Well, yeah,
1: and and cool. I think I say it almost every time we talk about it. it's like you can't like a book is a book, a movie is a movie, a TV show is a TV show, and you can't expect those things to match up because they're different media and they you know they have different ways of telling the story. The problem is, is you've got to do it well, mm-hmm. you know. I can't if 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 this was like kicking my ass, I might bring up the book occasionally as a reference point. But since I'm so disappointed and it's like, well, all I can think about is how much it's not like the book.
2: Well, and I think that we run into the in some ways a problem that we see aside from the variable sickness rate, which is a Walking Dead issue, too. It's the same time problem that The Walking Dead has. They keep showing us five months before, but you don't really get a sense of time for each individual person within that period of time. Mm-hmm. Right. So you get the, con- yeah, the, the concert for Larry and then everybody around him is sick and everybody's dead. Okay. There, but there's no real sense of scale to that. And then he's wandering New York city on his own. And with Nick, how long did it you know how were those people in the bar sick before then? There's no sense of scale within that story. And so when you get to the hospital, everybody's dead. For all we know, everybody in that hospital was sick for weeks. But we don't know that because yeah. we the first time we see the hospital is Nick waking up in it. There's no sense of, of rooting this in a time. And if all these so back to the editing thing. If we had 10 minutes with Stu and 10 minutes with Nick and 10 minutes with Larry and then we kept cycling back through these characters in a linear way starting with five months ago and we take them through everybody dying then you can do your time jump to get to Mm -hmm. everybody meeting each other or, or coming together in the town it's just so frustrating
1: yes
0: What's the big difference between the book and the show so far?
1: Okay, so it starts, the book starts pretty early. Like, nobody is sick when the book starts. And this show started with everybody's got the sniffles. You know, so, the and then, like, some characters, like, Fran is the main character of her arc and harold is a is a uh supporting character of fran's story but in this harold is the main character of harold's story and fran is barely a character in in stew and harold's story
2: which is interesting because harold is obsessed with fran he's got a crush on her he wants her he he wants her period And he's he's been sexually fixated for a number of years, yeah, right. And in the end, uh, when Fran and Stu meet, they end up being a couple, and this makes Harold livid. And it's one of the things that makes him susceptible to Flag's seduction, essentially, Mm. and leads Harold down. I mean, because Harold from the from go in this series. The diff- one of the differences with Harold is that he's creepy from the go he's not he's not just in the in the book he's a fat kid with pimples
1: yeah and but you know he actually is pretty adept like he he figures out how this world works pretty fast in the book and leads and that because there's a whole section on who knows they skipped over the entire being being on the road part of this book. But uh, there's a whole section where when Fran and and Stu are kind of falling in love with each other, they have a conversation where Du says something along the lines of, well, you know, he's in love. With, you know, I, I feel bad because because Harold's so in love with you. And she's like, I don't care what Harold thinks. I and my, You know, I'm I want you. It sucks that Harold's in love with me. I'm not. I'm not in love with Harold. I want to be with you, and you know it's stupid that you don't want to be with me because Harold m- wants to be with me when I'm never going to be with Harold.
3: And we're going to have that scene where Harold's like, "What? I didn't. I was. I didn't like you. What? Like seriously? Really? I didn't. I wasn't. It's going to be yeah. like that. And then he's going to plot her murder. Start
2: at that point. Yeah. Sorry, if the story was told in a linear way, you would basically be having... This show so far has kind of been the bullet point version of The Stand. The differences in terms of what actually happens to each character is largely, so far to me, an example of adaptational change, right? They made it from book to a movie, or to book to a miniseries. But we're getting character sketches where in the book they dived into who these people were.
1: And I think they did a much better job of diving into who these people were in the, the miniseries from the 90s as well. And they had less time to do that.
2: Yeah, no, I, I would definitely so far, I agree. I mean, there's so in the book, one thing, <laughs> it, one, uh. one thing that you get a sense of in the book is a sense of dread. Because flag is this seductive, manipulative tempter, right? He comes in and he offers you what you want. Well, he's he's you know essentially the devil figure, right? He comes in and you know I'll I'll give you the world. All you have to do is worship me. And while I think that we are actually getting a good performance as flag from Alexander Skarsgard, I have no problems with his performance. The problem is, is that we, it's not until the third episode that we really get the tempter. Right. We don't, I mean, uh, that sense of, that sense of ominousness is taking way too long in this show. Right.
1: Well, and then there's some things that are going on with, with flag that it's weird. Like, okay. So in the book, they say uh, that you could like, the people who encounter him know he's handsome but nobody can really describe his face. And it's really hard to look at his face. And sometimes people are scared to look at his face. And it looks to me like somebody in the creation of this show was like, well, let's try and do that. Let's like make it really hard to, you know, like we'll, we'll just do little, you know, like just from the nose down of his face or something. So they kind of went with that, and then somebody was like, "But we, we hired Alexander Skarsgård to play this part, and he's really super dreamy. Don't we want to show his whole damn face?" And so they're just doing like this weird, like half showing his face and half not showing his face thing that I find irritating.
2: Well, it's a little better that they didn't even try to do anything like that with James Sheridan in the original miniseries. He just showed up and was Randall flagging all over the place. <laughs> who, who whose performance I still prefer, by the way. Yeah. Well, with, we also haven't really gotten Randall Flag getting a chance to just open up and be the almost showman like.
3: Can't wait to see his
2: flashback origin story.
1: Oh yay!
2: Well, you can't have a flashback origin story for Randall Flagg because Randall Flagg is all these different things, and if you in, in, he's Narloathatep from the Cthulhu mythos as well, so you can't can't do that. You they just don't. said that word
3: without even thinking about what that word was that Narloathatep, the black yeah, pharaoh. You said that. and you pronounced it correctly and you didn't even have to think about it. I think you're the member of the cult. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I can I you can perform can fire get off. <laughs> Curtis? You I can't
1: see you. me shaking my head, but I'm 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 shaking my head at the nerdy nerdiness of these two boys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I read a lot of I Lovecraft, just, what
1: can I tell you? It impresses
3: me so much that you have that firm a grasp on that mythos because I will attempt to read them to myself while I'm reading these books and I'll just go I'll just go, yeah, okay, that one. And I'll I won't even mm-hmm. won't even bother with all the thoughts. Thoth thought, thought or thoth.
2: As a thought, shub thoth. Shub nigger off. Uh Wait,
1: hey, 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 hey. Hey.
2: Shub nig off. You need to clean out your ears. <clears throat> that is that is the goat with French a thousand years. And she will not be disrespected.
1: <laughs> oh, boy.
2: Yeah. So, well, and the thing is, is that that King's Dark Tower series actually does tie into the Cthulhu mythos. It's like so many other things. And Flag ends up being, literally, one of his names is... He is the Black Pharaoh. He is the Lovecraftian, a Lovecraftian monster. And we well, all see him in different ways because he's... He's not a human being at all. He just looks like one when we're looking at him when he's letting us see him that way.
1: Fun fact that was not always supposed to be the case. Right. Uh the uh the character of Randall Flagg originally appeared in Tears of the Dragon. Then when Stephen King was writing, he then he wrote like the Dark Tower, the first book, The Gunslinger, kind of vacillated. He wrote it in several different uh, several different times in several different places. But then, so he wrote he wrote here's the dragon, and then he wrote the stand afterwards. And he was like, oh, I'll put Randall Flagg in there, and it was like ha 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 Randall Flagg. And then you discover in book like three or four of the Dark Tower that it's also Randall Flagg. And if you ask Stephen King, he's just like, yeah, I just decided that would be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was, it was not this was not part of some big plan. <laughs> until it became like an all-encompassing huge plan
2: well he ended up tying so many of his books into the same giant universe isaac asimov did the same thing at hit the end of his life too where it's just like all of these things connect and so did Heinlein. i mean it's king's hardly the first genre author to to make a giant world out of his all his storytelling mm-hmm. and flag shows up in a bunch of other places by the time You get to the end of well, he's not even done. Flag is character flag flag like characters show up a lot in King's work. I mean, part of me part of me appreciates the fact that they're not overdosing us on Randall Flag yet, because he plays very very heavily into the latter part of the book. And once we get to Vegas, then we're going to have a lot of Flag. Yeah. Uh, But at this point, you know, I I, I think in one way it might be working for me is that he's not in this very much so far. He just shows up to do a little tempting stuff in the middle of the desert.
1: Yeah. Everyone, but everyone else who's evil is super evil. You know, Nathan Cross, and Harold Lauder, and, you know, everyone else is like evil is evil in Evil Town. Here to be evil for you.
2: Well, and then in the next episode, sorry, just so you know, spoiler alert for the next episode of the show. Oh, yeah. she She's going to seduce Harold. So the hot blonde is going to seduce the little weasel guy so that they can blow up the town together. Oh. Because in the book, that takes a fair amount of time to happen. But we only have eight episodes before we have the ninth episode that Stephen King wrote specially for the show. So we got to hurry that along.
0: Right.
2: And there's going to be plenty of flashbacks, of course.
1: Ten minutes of being chased through New York by by uh, gun-toting Wall Street brokers.
2: By the way, in the book, the character that Heather Graham plays um, is older and frumpier and less of a, oh God, I've just been, I found, you know, a hot woman who wants to be with me in the apocalypse um, than we got here.
1: Actually, I mean, like I said, I just re-listened to The Stand not terribly long ago, last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the funny thing about the way that Rita is described in the book is that it's very much Larry's perception of her. Mm-hmm. Because she starts out, the first time he meets her, they they show it in, in episode two, she's sitting by a lake in Central Park, and she's watching the ducks, and she pulls out a gun and shoots a mailbox, and it's super cute. And he describes her as glamorous and... And, you know, worldly. He, she's older, but she's a hot older. And then he goes home and he sleeps with her. And his perception of her completely changes. And the way he describes her completely changes. Because he's, you know, he went home with Greta Garbo and he woke up with her. With the real Rita.
2: By the way, I will have to say that that Heather Graham and I are the same age. And she's aging much better than I am.
1: She's gorgeous. She's 50. and amazing and she needs to be a thing. Like I don't understand why Heather Graham isn't like a huge thing. Like where's, where's the, you know, Fox uh, procedural where Heather Graham plays a lawyer. That's trying to get uh, uh, unjustly convicted people off death row.
3: Well, she's got a brand new pair of roller skates and I got a brand new key.
2: She's making at least two movies a year. She's constantly working.
1: I guess, you know, maybe I just don't pay that much attention. You're just not well, watching only the movie making. Yeah, I'm not watching the movie she's making.
3: If Facebook exploded with her, do you think that'd be good enough? Just ah. like a, a whole bunch of Heather Graham memes about Heather Graham, doing Heather Graham stuff.
1: <laughs> are, you, are you developing an art project now, Curtis? <laughs>
3: it's lucky. It's really lucky that I've never had a desire to learn Photoshop. I would be putting the most stupid shit out there. Let me give you an idea for a meme that I have. Okay? MMA, uh, MMA. Yes, I would like. Uh, I would like to have a picture, a beaver, right, and then it would say, "Better late than beaver." What? That's the kind of stuff I would put out there.
2: So, what Pick- you're saying is your meme skills are not on point. I don't know, man. I think they might
3: be too advanced. I no, saw the okay. look on you guys' faces, and I was like, it worked. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we bow to your superior meme mean knowledge, Curtis.
1: All right. Yeah, you've got to start doing doing weird. Just, just once a week, make a new crazy something. Put it out there. I've been really loving your, uh, your facts, your animal facts. Oh, I hit...
3: One day I decided that I uh I wondered how many jokes I could make about bees. They weren't uh, really jokes, they were just kind of satirical facts, but 40.
1: Before <laughs> anybody noticed that they were not like I got it right away. Like and I was just watching you write more and more and then when you got to the one about <laughs> bees having a third eye. Bees have five
3: head. eyes, sorry. Bees have five eyes. That's so they can check in during oral. (laughs) Three of them are Uh, on top of their head. (laughs) I don't remember many of the others, but one time I wrote close to 50 haikus about beer in an afternoon. And I don't know. Sometimes I get an idea and I want to flesh it out. Sometimes it takes a minute. No, none of you listeners can be my friend on Facebook because I don't. But
1: you can follow him at Creepy Curtis for free.
3: That's true. I say weird things on the Twitter.
1: I've Should been drawing we... a lot of pictures on Twitter recently.
3: Uh, yeah, I know. It's There's pretty a lot good. Of art. Pretty good. I think I have somewhere your uh, costume design for Archie.
1: You know, i have the original it's in my it's in my uncompletely completely unused uh uh production design portfolio so i have the original one but i'm sure you have a copy
3: yeah good times that was
2: in the before times mm-hmm. sorry you if, if you've listened to if you've listened to the podcast a lot of this stuff is stuff that you'll you may recognize i cut out <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not as Not as tight as a, of a normal episode, yeah,
2: we got a compliment today from uh, Ari Mave, who is a actor that we've all worked here in Kansas City. And he loves the show. he really he, he says, "Let me know that he loves the podcast, and he just listened to the letters to Satan Clause, and he's really he's looking forward to listening to more of the show. He said he really appreciated how much we don't talk over each other, and I said, "Oh, Ari, I edit all of that out." Said I edit the hell out of our episodes. Yeah, (laughs) Dustin. Dustin sent us to say the word "um." It looks like a
3: mushroom in waveform. I've gotten to know it really well. I can just scan down and find
2: the ums by the (laughs) waveform.
1: It's because I enunciate so well.
2: That's that's. We'll go with that. I uh, (laughs) I've gotten to the point where I basically play the episode once, and then I. Kind of make the occasional note where it's like, right, that five minutes could come right out because we didn't talk (laughs) about anything for five minutes. We were very entertaining, but only to us. (laughs) And
1: we should do an episode that's just what you cut out. Just our our little random jokes. Of course it would only be like
2: sent us.
1: (laughs) But wasn't that just our breaths and stuff?
3: Yes. Yeah, it was it was all of the things that I cut out. It sounded like, um, but the, and, uh, but and what and for about five minutes, mm-hmm. it was really funny and I hope you guys enjoyed it.
2: There are, I think three or four episodes out of the entire run of the podcast that I put out without any editing. I chopped the front off. I chopped the back off. I dropped the music in and I released it and I should go back and figure out what those are and what the numbers are on those. <laughs>
0: because
2: <laughs> If we got really great numbers on that episode, I'll do a hell of a lot of less editing. editing.
1: Well, but and anyway. every once in a while we'll do like a tight, a really tight episode where it's like, oh, wow, we're done. And it's 40, we've been here for 45 minutes.
2: Oh yeah. And those actually don't take a lot of editing. That's just mostly the ums that come out of them. Yeah,
1: that's kind of where we are tonight. Cause I'm tired of talking about the stand.
2: There's not a lot more to talk about. The story moves forward. We get more characters introduced. Um, actually, we have one of my favorite exchanges in the episode. I do want to say this, that every time that Greg Kinnear was on screen, I enjoyed every bit of that. Because his whole interaction with Stu felt very, very natural. And when we got to the, the, present, the present day of the show... He's the guy who's walking around going, we're really letting some woman tell us that we're the chosen ones? Really?
1: And then she walks in and he's like, are we really letting you? And she's like, shh, shh, And he's I, like, fine. He's like,
2: fine. <laughs> he's like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I loved all of that. I, I actually really, really liked that whole sequence.
1: And I did like how they introduced Tom Cullen. I liked that whole scene. That was good. I, I liked that. I liked... What else do
2: I like? Well, from the moment that Nick, all of Nick's stuff, from the moment Nick woke up, because there's, I mean, he gets, a, before that, he just gets in a bar fight and gets beat up. But from the moment he woke up, the you know, he goes and he, he actually starts taking care of the man who beat him. That tells you super fast what kind of person he is. For sure. And then you get, you know, and then, but then it jumps right into, you know, Tom showing up, which is fine because it introduced Tom, but we when we're talking about not enough character development, that's a great shorthand bit for the kind of person Nick is. but that's one of those places they should have given more time for. yeah, but Tom I the, i I'm not sure how I feel about Tom Cullen, this portrayal of Tom Cullen. part of it I like mostly because in the original miniseries it was very it was super cliched mm-hmm. and this is. There's, a, there's some cliche to this too, but it's not it's, anywhere it's near so, as heavy-handed.
1: Tom Cullen in the original uh, The Stand was so cliched that the guy who plays Tom Cullen is the voice of Patrick Star on SpongeBob SquarePants.
2: Oh yeah, mm-hmm. the guy from Coach. Yeah. yeah. So I like this portrayal better, but it's also one scene, really. So. Right. We'll see how it plays out. But
3: I think he could lean into it a little more. I think they're playing it a little safe. They have to have the character, but they don't want to be offensive. Like, just it doesn't, still doesn't feel real to me. It's fun. I enjoy it. I actually enjoy it more.
1: Well, it I just, mean,
3: his character just seems like he's holding back because they could he's have scared. You know,
1: they could have had somebody, a, an actual person with Down syndrome, play this role. And that would have, I think... They been, really could have. They well, really Henry, could have.
2: There was could a blow-up blow about Henry Zaga playing a deaf character.
1: Yeah, I was about to say that. Like, they could have had an actual deaf person play Nick Andros.
2: Well, Nick Andros has to speak as well. Right. So that's the we argument that was made by the production, is that the character is, has scenes where he does speak. And a number of... Well, I hope they mentioned it. A number of deaf actors pointed out that I'm they sorry. actually can speak as well. Hmm. Just because they can't hear doesn't mean they well, yeah, not learn how to speak. Yeah, but...
1: You're having a yeah but. yeah, but... There's a weird... I think there's a weird... It's a double-edged sword of when you come into talking about representation and who can play what kind of character... Because there's the school of thought that if you are the best actor, you should be able to play that character.
3: It's a goddamn, it's pretend time for fuck's sake. I can't see why people don't get it. It's pretend. You get to pretend to be
1: somebody else. And it doesn't matter. Except Curtis, sometimes you're paid to pretend to be someone else. That's right. And when you are being, when, when like, for example, if you were being paid to play a blind actor or a blind person on a show,
3: yeah. and
1: there was a blind actor who could have played that part that didn't get it. It's a weird You should thing. have been, have like, done
3: a better audition then.
2: Well, so if it, if it was a question of, an open set of auditions where you actually had actors in that group being allowed to audition or being pursued for the part, you'd still get into the question of it's okay. We're not going to solve it this episode. Let's make it very, very clear right now. Well,
1: And actually Curtis and I have had this exact conversation like six different times. Yeah, Yeah.
2: I think so. But I think uh, there's a fair argument to be made that if you are casting a gay character or a trans character or a deaf character or a disabled character, that if you can cast a gay or trans or disabled or deaf or blind or whatever character that is, then there's nothing wrong with doing that. Because there are very, well, very I want to pretend. Are, I want to pretend to be the, like that. Well, and that's, and that's the thing is that actors want to play people who aren't like them, because why else would we be actors because we don't want to be ourselves all the time. And I think that that's uh, the, the question I think a lot of people have been raising is there are more of more actors in these groups now than there ever were out before in the world, right? They're not well,
3: and, I don't see why it should be easier for them to get any role than it is for me. And
2: I don't necessarily disagree with that.
3: There's nobody that's going to cast me as a as a blind dude. I would be terrible at that. But well,
2: yeah. But the thing is is that some Maybe slightly
3: slightly hard of hearing. Where most of my lines were what I could probably do that
2: Mm.
1: there's this great saturday night live sketch that's called i can it's a game show uh, it's, i can play that and it's one of, it's elders elba and they're like you know talking about like characters that they can play it's it's, it's really funny look it up
0: okay that's a great right story. now obviously that was, a great story. That was a really great
1: story to <laughs> i'm sorry i I'm, <laughs> I'm super distracted by this guy who's taking lead-based paint off of uh off of this dump truck. He's not with, eating it, is he? No. Uh okay. he's using uh a That's citrus bad. based paint stripper. Hmm. And I it's just so goopy.
3: Doing and a lot of scraping just, and
1: yeah, a lot of scraping. Yeah. Um see this is one of those things that gets cut out. But I wish that it didn't because I <laughs> I would be like, folks, if you'll remember, I watch uh restoration videos while we do this podcast. <laughs> Because I can't stand the sight of these people. You know that hand tool restoration guy. Uh huh.
3: Yeah, I bought I one of his. Did. I I bought one of his fun that wrenches. Sounds
2: far more dirty than I'm sure it is. Yeah. That hand tool restoration guy.
1: <laughs> he's the, he's <laughs>
2: that, sounds, that dude's filthy.
1: <laughs> well, this guy, all he does is uh, is restore old vintage, like like, from the 30s and 40s vintage cars. They're just, like, basically pressed sheet metal. Mm -hmm. And they're just... It's just so cool.
2: All right. Let's wrap this up. (laughs) We've... we've... All right, so the storyline moves forward. Things happen. I think we're getting to a point. Oh, we forgot to mention that Flag makes an appearance in by a guy gets crucified and sent to them essentially to be his messenger, and uh, in in a relatively well done scene. Yeah. And and so we know they know that Flag is coming, and yeah. so I guess things are happening. Next episode, we're going to get a seduction scene. And um, in theory, at some point, the story is going to kick into high gear, right? Right. Yeah. If you enjoyed us kind of trying to figure out if there was something nice we could say about the stand this week, um, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on podcast.com and Apple podcast. We imagine you listened to us on one of those platforms. You can leave us a comment. You can leave us a rating. Those are nice things to have. And they help other people find the show which, of course, we'd love to have more people listen. We appreciate all of you who do listen. I was looking at our numbers and really rather pleased with some of our listen numbers. We'll, we'll take it. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll do this again in another week. Sorry, so great to have you on the show. We're, I'm sorry we brought you on for The Stand, but now you have to come back and suffer with us for the remaining episodes in the in The Stand series. You know that, right? Doesn't oh, explain god. the rules, right?
1: Oh god! Uh, did, did I not did. mention that? Yeah, did you, did I mention you have to watch the rest of the stand with us. You're
2: trapped. <laughs> There's no escape. Sorry, you're uh, ours now. Uh, one of us, It was fun. one of us. One of us.
0: <laughs> I'm. I'm gonna definitely need you guys to explain to me what's happening, <laughs> and
2: who these people are. But we'll have we'll have that. alcohol next time. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I'll be
1: <laughs> Actually, you will have to have your own alcohol since we all live hundreds of miles away from each other
2: i was gonna drink a beer okay. tonight and I forgot. i'll have alcohol next time you guys are on your own
1: <laughs> i i, I uh, think we'll all be fine
3: i'm gonna say good night
1: i'm also gonna say good night
2: all right thank you dustin
1: thank you tim
2: thank you curtis thank you tim thank you sorry thank you so much for listening we really appreciate it and we'll be back again in another week with our next episode of zonepocalypse now Zompocalypse Now is produced and recorded by Timothy Harvey, Dustin Adair, and Curtis Smith for Just Some Guy Productions. All rights reserved.